Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You're listening to Civics 101. I'm Hannah McCarthy. I'm Nick Capodice. We will hear argument this morning in case 21-1271, Moore versus Harper. Mr. Thompson. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Nick, a recent Supreme Court case, and by recent, in case you're listening in the future, I mean June 2023, had a lot of people holding their breath. Because if the court ruled in a certain way, it would mean affirming a pretty radical theory about the Constitution. A theory? Yeah. Which, you know, it's in the name, is just an unproven idea. Science. We're scientists. We are scientists. Uh, Unproven until the Supreme Court says otherwise. Justice Kagan? Uh, If I could, Mr. Thompson, I'd like to step back a bit and just... um you know, think about consequences, because this is a theory with big consequences. It, um, it well, would... What is this theory exactly? It has to do with a certain interpretation of the elections clause in the Constitution. Let's bring in our expert here. This is Carolyn Shapiro. I'm a law professor at Chicago Kent College of Law. I teach constitutional law, among other things. And I am also the founder and co-director of Chicago Kent's Institute on the Supreme Court of the United States. And I also am the faculty director of a civic education project called the Constitutional Democracy Project. Yeah, I should also add that I filed an amicus brief. I always sometimes forget to say that, but I know it's important for journalists to know that. Carolyn filed an amicus brief for this case? Yep. She worked on one alongside two other constitutional law professors. And we should remind our listeners, an amicus brief is otherwise known as a friend of the court brief. Uh, So lawyers, historians, civil rights organizations, all sorts of people and groups can come together to send the court what is basically a term paper, arguing for implications of Supreme Court cases, like what they're worried about, what they hope to happen, etc. Right. So the reason that Carolyn needed me to know that as a journalist, if you have filed an amicus brief in a case, you've chosen a side before the case is even heard by the court. And this was Carolyn's side. Well, so the brief was really focused on some of the implications that would flow from a ruling in favor of the independent state legislature theory some of the ways in which it would disrupt the way elections operate, the way people, elections officials, legislatures, everybody has assumed that they operate for really hundreds of years. It was very much a a focus on the potential negative consequences of endorsing the independent state legislature theory. 
independent state legislature theory. So I'm going to assume that this is the theory you're talking about that's at the center of the Moore v. Harper case? It is. Now, I've not heard of this, so what does it actually mean? The independent state legislature theory says, well, if you look at the federal constitution, it says that the state legislature shall determine the time, place, and manner of congressional elections, although Congress can override that. Um, And because the federal constitution expressly uses the term legislature, it means that the legislature of the state can't be limited in any way by the state constitution, can't really be checked by the state judiciary, that the normal checks and balances that apply to things that state legislatures do don't apply. So that was the issue that went to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, okay, we'll get into what the court has to say about that argument, but here is why it was being made. We talk about redistricting a lot. Yeah, we do, uh, because it's a big deal. Sure is. Every 10 years, either the state legislature or an independent commission redraws election district lines based on the census, on population size. So the idea there is, given the limited number of members of Congress... 435. Right, 435. It wouldn't be fair if districts were drawn in such a way that a city of, you know, a million people was represented by the same number of legislators as a town of uh, 20,000. Right, that would be called malapportionment. It would. And then there's something else that can happen. Everyone's thinking it, Hannah. I'm just saying it. Gerrymandering. Go ahead and listen to our episode on that to learn more. But the idea there is that district lines are drawn to favor one party over another. And this practice, gerrymandering, it's not really something that a legislative body usually admits to. Except this time, they 100% did. We want to make clear that we, to the extent, are going to use political data in drawing this map. It is to gain partisan advantage on the map. I want that criteria to be clearly stated and understood. Wait, hang on. Who's that? That is Representative David Lewis, a Republican from North Carolina. And he just said explicitly that they were going to use political data to gain partisan advantage. He did. So they were just pretty upfront about it, saying the quiet part out loud. They were entirely upfront about it, which, I mean, the reason this is really interesting is that for the longest time, gerrymandering has been happening with this sort of, you know, oh, huh, yeah, look at that. How did that happen? Feigned naivete. And at least in this case, they were like, Yeah, no, we are definitely going to draw the districts to favor the Republican Party. And draw the districts like that, they did. Republicans have uh, an overwhelming majority in the legislature. Right now they have a supermajority in the legislature. And this was challenged in the North Carolina courts as violating the North Carolina Constitution. And the North Carolina Supreme Court said that it did. They said that the North Carolina Constitution's guarantee of free and fair elections, the North Carolina Constitution's guarantee of free association, and other provisions meant that this kind of extreme partisan gerrymander was unconstitutional. 
the leaders of the legislature went to the U.S. Supreme Court. Normally, when a state Supreme Court says, this is what our state constitution means, the discussion is over. The, the federal courts have nothing to say about that. But the independent state legislature theory proposes that that's not the case in the context of redistricting. All right, let me see if I've got this right. The case was taken to the Supreme Court to settle this question of independent state legislature theory, which basically says that checks and balances when it comes to the legislature and elections, like the state Supreme Court saying your gerrymander is unconstitutional, those don't apply because the U.S. Constitution says that states can determine the time, place, and manner of elections. Full stop. And that state legislatures do not have to allow the state Supreme Court to review their election changes. And just to give you an idea of what that would have actually meant, if the court had upheld this specific interpretation of the independent state legislature, here's Justice Kagan during the oral arguments. It would uh, say that if a legislature engages in the most extreme forms of gerrymandering, um, there is no state constitutional remedy for that, even if the courts think that that's a violation of the Constitution. It would say that legislatures could enact all manner of restrictions on voting, get rid of all kinds of (coughs) voter protections that the state constitution, in fact, prohibits. Uh, It might allow the legislatures to insert themselves, to give themselves a role in the certification of elections and and um, uh, and 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 the way election results are um, calculated. Okay, Hannah, you said that if the court had upheld it, which must mean that they didn't. Right. The Supreme Court said no. The Supreme Court said, look, a legislature is a creature of a state constitution. And when the federal constitution was written and ratified, it was well established that state constitutions could limit what legislatures do and that state courts engaged in what we call judicial review to determine if what state legislatures were doing was consistent with the state constitution. Everybody understood that at the time the federal constitution was was written and ratified, and so that's what it means. So the Supreme Court rejected the independent state legislature theory, or at least it rejected the most extreme form of the independent state legislature theory, which was to set state legislatures completely free of the normal limitations imposed by state constitutions. It was a 6-3 to three decision with Justices Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, and Samuel Alito dissenting. And we're going to get into that dissent after the break. But before we do, a friendly little reminder that Civics 101 is public radio, free to you, always has been, always will be. It is yours. Please take it. And while you will hear ads on the show from time to time, because we got to find other ways to keep the lights on, our most significant and reliable source of support is you. Our listeners. That's right. Believe you me, we definitely could not exist without listener support. Like, poof, we'd be gone. So if you're in a position to do so, do consider keeping us around, my friends. You can make a contribution to the show by going to civics101podcast.org and clicking on the donate button. Every little bit, genuinely, seriously, I mean it, majorly helps. 
Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hey there, everyone. Hey, folks. The whole Civics 101 team is here in D.C. for a week. That's why you hear cars and stuff whizzing by. Uh, We are in the district to talk to the people that we talk about on a daily basis. And a lot of those people work in the executive branch. That is the largest employer in the world. And a lot of those people work in the civil service where, after the assassination of James Garfield, it's a long story, they take an exam to make sure that they are the right person for their job. But if you run a business and you're not the federal government, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, but to match instead with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 23 hires are made on Indeed every minute, and their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use it, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash civics. Just go to Indeed.com slash civics right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash civics. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire? You need Indeed. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. We're back. You're listening to Civics 101. And Hannah, just before the break, you mentioned that Moore v. Harper was a 6-3 decision with a dissent worth talking about. So can I just ask, what was the nature of the dissent? If the court determined that state legislatures do not have independent power over federal elections, did the three dissenting justices argue that states do have that power? No, they didn't go that far. Actually, the dissent is interesting because of what happened in North Carolina before this case was heard by the court. The state Supreme Court just released three key decisions. The court's Republican majority is reinstating the state's voter ID law that passed in 2018. They've also overturned a previous decision related to partisan gerrymandering. In that case, when the court had a Democratic majority, they found Republicans had illegally drawn electoral districts to benefit their party. The third decision would end voting rights for convicted felons. So in the dissent, Clarence Thomas, who wrote it, basically says that the court shouldn't have heard this case at all because it's a moot point. He argues that because the North Carolina Supreme Court reversed its decision and said that the legislature can, in fact, gerrymander their maps, it doesn't matter what the court has to say on the independent state legislature theory. So the North Carolina court said... Partisan congressional redistricting is okay? They did. And I should be clear, the Supreme Court has ruled on a number of cases related to congressional redistricting. But it has not said, cut and dry, that partisan maps are unconstitutional. Okay. One last thing about the decision itself. As you might know, Nick, the Supreme Court has a tendency to go above and beyond when it writes its opinions. 
Like, it might make a ruling on a case and then throw in a, oh, by the way, here's this other thing that's true. Absolutely. My favorite example of this being Marbury v. Madison, when the Supreme Court said, oh, and by the way, while we're at it, we are the final arbiters of constitutionality in this fair nation. We're the ones who say what the supreme law of the land actually says and how and where it applies. Bingo. So in Moore v. Harper, the court added this little up. What the Supreme Court said is that if a state court just goes really so far off the rails that it is maybe um, taking unto itself the role of the legislature in some way or somehow not acting as a court, the Supreme Court could step in. What exactly that means and how broad that loophole is, nobody really knows for sure. It should be, in my view, a very narrow set of circumstances where the Supreme Court would say, wait a minute, this state court has just completely gone off the rails. But that would have to be in a situation where what the state court did just can't be reconciled with what courts do generally, which is different from a situation where there might be a difference of opinion about the right answer among judges and jurists, where there's a disagreement about the right answer, but there are you know, maybe majority opinion and dissenting opinion. That should not give rise to the kind of triggering this, this particular form of oversight. All right, Hannah, I am honestly not sure what that means. What this means is, in this case... The United States Supreme Court affirmed that the North Carolina Supreme Court could review legislative changes to elections and could deem those changes unconstitutional. Because state legislatures do not have absolute, independent, uncheckable power over federal election rules. However, if in the future a state Supreme Court does something that the federal Supreme Court deems a major overstep, well the United States Supreme Court has asserted that it can intervene. We don't know for sure how broadly the Supreme Court is going to use that power. The language that it used in the opinion suggests that it's going to be a very rarely, and if ever, invoked authority. It uses language like beyond the bounds of ordinary judicial review, which suggests to me something that's just completely non-judicial. Ordinary judicial review, by the way, being a very necessary check that the judiciary plays on the legislative and executive branches of the government. Basically, a court can invalidate the action of another branch of the government if it determines that the action is unconstitutional or against the law in some way. And Carolyn is saying that the Supreme Court is unlikely to intervene in that judicial review Unless a state court, for example, seems to be doing something, like she said, that is non-judicial, not within their power. But we won't know for sure until we see what happens. And the, the, the danger is that in the middle of an election, when these issues sometimes arise, when emotions are running very high, when things have to be decided very quickly, um, and when we know who's going to benefit from the particular ruling in one direction or another, the danger is that the court might, or some of the justices might see it as their role to step in 
if they just disagree with what a state court did. Again, Carolyn doesn't see this as likely to happen, but we honestly don't know. And she says it wasn't really until 2020 that courts exercising review over election rules became something that people questioned the constitutionality of. One example she cited was when the Pennsylvania Supreme Court moved the date by which mail-in ballots had to be received. And some argued that in doing so, they were taking power away from the Pennsylvania state legislature. Since the beginning of the republic, states have had constitutional provisions that limit what legislatures can do when it comes to federal elections. And nobody's ever thought that that was unconstitutional until this ISLT argument bubbled up during the 2020 election. It's also important to say that what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did was not particularly unusual. It was exercising what's known as equitable power. It was exercising power that allows it to remedy a situation under particular circumstances and is consistent with things the Pennsylvania courts have done in other contexts with elections. For example, if there's some kind of natural disaster that requires election day to be halted or moved or extended in some way. Those are, those are equitable powers that the courts have uh, and that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court wasn't doing anything particularly unusual. What made it, what made it controversial in 2020 was that mail-in ballots were controversial, uh, but not because what the court was doing was so unusual. So Hannah, does Carolyn think we're going to see questions like this keep coming up? She mentioned emotions running high around election season. And certainly in the last federal election, we did see some high emotions and some serious challenges to the results of the election. Does she think the court is going to have to keep answering questions about election rules? Oh, she sure does. The issues that might arise if there are arguments about how to interpret a particular statute or whether a broad reading of a state constitution invalidates some other some part of another statute those arguments will persist i think it's more likely that we will see those types of arguments brought by campaigns and parties as opposed to by legislatures or legislators but it's impossible to know for sure The reason campaigns and parties are more likely to bring those claims is because when there's a dispute about how a particular election law should be interpreted or whether a particular election law is constitutional under the state constitution, there's going to be one side, uh, usually one candidate or one party, that thinks it's to their advantage for that argument to come out a particular way. That's very often how these types of of cases end up getting litigated. So a disappointed candidate is going to have every incentive to argue that the state courts have gone beyond the bounds set for them in Moore versus Harper. So now that the Supreme Court has said that there are bounds to what a state court can do, we may very well see candidates saying, hey, look, they crossed those bounds. Supreme Court justices, please intervene. One could argue that giving yourself judicial superpowers is a double-edged sword. You know, my judicial superpower would probably be invisibility. I also always go with invisibility. 
Uh, we are journalists, though, and we should probably make note of the fact that the Supreme Court does not have the ability to turn invisible. To our knowledge. To our knowledge. This episode was produced by me, Hannah McCarthy, with Nick Capodice. Christina Phillips is our senior producer. Rebecca Lavoy is our executive producer. And music in this episode by Farrell Wooten, Vivi Campos, El Flaco Collective, Nihoni, and Ryan James Carr. New to Civics 101? Welcome. We love you. Not new, but here because you're already a fan? Welcome back. We love you. Either way, if you don't subscribe to our newsletter, are you even a Civics 101-er? You can do that right now. It's genuinely fun, and it will never spam your inbox, and it will be the thing you actually look forward to opening. I promise. One time I didn't know what to write, so I just wrote about Harriet the Spy, but in a civics way. It's that kind of thing. Subscribe at civics101podcast.org, and while you're there, you can find everything else we have ever made. Civics 101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.